0: The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order.
1: Let's gather in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service.
0: Here's Sam Doran. There are a lot of threads to follow as we head into next Tuesday's primary elections in the Bay State. We'll explore a few of them here the power that comes with being an incumbent, the high number of women running for office, the challenges to sitting lawmakers that come from members of their own party, and the effect of President Trump on local Republican races. We're taping a little early this week. This is our primary election edition of Statehouse Takeout. During campaign season, incumbents have advantages, including visibility from their official duties. Governor Baker's comings and goings around Massachusetts this month caught Mike Norton's attention. and Mike's here to talk with us about it. What's up, Mike?
1: Well, as you know, Sam, Governor Baker is on the ballot Tuesday, and he faces conservative pastor Scott Lively, who is running on a full pro-Trump agenda. What you may not know is how infrequently the governor appears to be getting out there as a candidate to press the flesh with voters. In April, uh, after Lively got enough sport at the Republican Party convention to qualify for the ballot, Baker immediately flagged some of Lively's anti-gay views and said he didn't plan to engage with him and would focus during May, June, and July on his job as governor. Well, August arrived, and Baker launched his campaign, and he had four events during the weekend of August 11th and 12th, and he's held only one other public campaign event this month, choosing instead to reach voters electronically uh, through a series of image ads. Now, my colleague Matt Murphy and I were discussing this, and he pointed out that the pattern is similar uh, to one Deval Patrick took as part of his successful reelection in 2010, a year when, ironically, he defeated Baker, who that year was a more active campaigner trying to scratch his way into the Beacon Hill establishment.
0: But Mike, uh, from what I understand, you've made a connection between the governor's day job and his campaign.
1: Uh, That's correct. It's uh, more of a connect the dots, Sam. Uh, The governor has been traveling around the state quite a bit, but it's been in his official capacity as governor. We looked over his public schedules, and in just the past seven business days, he has visited uh, Burlington, Plymouth, Quincy, Plimpton, Springfield, Lawrence, Haverhill, Amesbury, Lynn, and Chelsea. Now, in many of these locations, he's been joined by Democratic lawmakers to tout their bipartisan achievements. Uh, Last Monday, Baker led a school safety roundtable in Burlington. Tuesday, he was at an apartment groundbreaking in Plymouth and had a ceremonial signing in Quincy of an environmental spending bill he actually signed on August 9th. Last Wednesday, he visited a cranberry business in Plimpton. He went to Springfield on Thursday to celebrate the state's first resort casino. And on Friday, he toured businesses in Lawrence, Haverhill, and Amesbury. that was just last week. Uh, This week on Monday— How about this week? (laughs) This week on Monday, the governor was with Mayor Tom McGee and lawmakers to highlight an English for Advancement program. On Tuesday, he visited the Chelsea Soldiers Home to draw additional attention to a veterans benefit that he had also previously signed. And on Wednesday, Baker went to Fall River to announce plans to streamline 23 uh, career centers and 16 workforce development boards. Now, technically, Sam, these are not campaign events, although when you are the incumbent and it's campaign season, they can feel like campaign events, and that's not lost on the governor's own campaign staff. Now, they've been collecting and distributing to the media probaker comments made by public officials while the governor is out and about on all around the state on his official business.
0: Good reporting, Mike. Thanks, like Sam. When this legislative session began, way back in 2016, the number of women serving in office in Massachusetts was a tie for past records. Female lawmakers held 26% of the 200 legislative seats. There have been reports from around the country of high numbers of women running for office this fall. Katie Lannan, How does the primary ballot break down here in the Bay State?
2: Well, according to the Lee Family Foundation, which tracks these kinds of things, Massachusetts is mirroring the national trend of more women seeking elected office this cycle, you know, following the, the historic run of Hillary Clinton and the attention we've seen paid to the Me Too movement. So according to that foundation's numbers, there's a total of 78 women running for the State House of Representatives and 18 for the State Senate plus six others who are running for constitutional offices, and eight for the different district attorney positions. Now, I broke down those legislative numbers a little bit more. So there's 30 women running for open seats on Beacon Hill. And in some cases, there's multiple women vying for one seat. If you look at, for example, the Senate seat last held by Stan Rosenberg, or the House seat last held by the late Jim Maselli, each of those have multiple female candidates who've thrown their hat in the ring. Then there's 10 women Democrats who are challenging incumbents on Tuesday in party primary, and another 22 female candidates who are looking to take on an incumbent from another party in November, plus, of course, the incumbent women who are seeking re-election. Now, four of the six constitutional offices in the state are currently held by women, and that's lieutenant governor, auditor, treasurer, and attorney general, all of whom are running for re-election, unopposed in their primaries. Each of them will have a general election opponent, but that's something we can talk about in a few more weeks. A few more weeks. Yeah, we got some time. (laughs) And no women are running for either governor or secretary of state.
0: And Katie, what about the Massachusetts races for Capitol Hill?
2: Well, Sam, we have two women running for U.S. Senate. That's Elizabeth Warren, who was the state's first female senator when she was originally elected. She's unopposed in her primary And on the Republican side, Beth Lindstrom is one of the three Republicans hoping to unseat Senator Warren. And there's 10 women running for Congress. Five of those are just running in one race. That's the third district, the very crowded Merrimack Valley race to succeed retiring Rep. Nikki Songis. Out of those 10 Democrats on the ballot, five of them are women. That's Alexandra Chandler, Senator Barbara Italian, Rep. Juana Matias, Bopa Malone, and Lori Trahan. When Rep Songis announced just over a year ago that she was not seeking re-election, she said she had been proud that her initial win had marked the first time in 25 years that Massachusetts had elected a woman to Congress, and she highlighted the gains since then made by women in politics here. So it'll be interesting to see if a woman ultimately ends up succeeding her, but of course, again, that's something we won't really know until November. True. All
0: right. Hey, thanks, Katie. Thanks, Sam. More than half of the state legislature is on track to cruise to another term. Twenty-two senators and 83 representatives don't face any official challenges. For them, election season isn't all that much work. But a small group of Beacon Hill lawmakers, 10%, face a challenge from within their own party on Tuesday... Some of them are even in leadership positions. So Colin Young is here to break down where those challenges are and what it tells us about the state of political parties in Massachusetts. Uh, Colin, where are we watching for these intra-party primary fights?
3: Well, first of all, Sam, these primary challenges aren't isolated to the legislature or even Beacon Hill. Uh, Republican Governor Charlie Baker is, of course, facing a challenge from his right, from conservative Springfield pastor Scott Lively. Uh, And Bill Galvin, who's hoping to win election to a seventh term as Secretary of State, will have to first contend with Boston City Councilor Josh Zakem, who says Galvin isn't progressive enough and is too set in his ways. That race has turned a little bit nasty in a hurry. Uh, And at the congressional level, five of the state's nine U.S. representatives have a primary opponent, Richard Neal, Joseph Kennedy, Michael Capuano, Stephen Lynch, and Bill Keating. The two races to watch there are Capuano, who faces a stiff challenge from Boston City Councilor Ayanna Presley, and Neil, one of the more conservative Democrats in the delegation, who's being challenged by Springfield attorney Tahira Amatul Wadud. Each race features a woman of color hoping to take out a white man who has long been entrenched in the Democratic establishment. And here on Beacon Hill, there are 17 sitting representatives and three sitting senators who have opponents on Tuesday. House Democrats facing competition from within their own party include a handful who chair committees or hold other leadership positions, including Ways and Means Chair uh, Jeffrey Sanchez and Assistant Vice Chair Liz Malia, both of Jamaica Plain, Assistant Majority Leader Byron Rushing of Boston, Public Health Committee Chair Kate Hogan of Stowe, and Mental Health, Substance Use and Recovery Committee Chair Denise Garlick of Needham. Four Democrats are bidding to unseat the House's longest-serving member, Reedville Democrat Rep. Angelo Scasha, who's running for a 23rd term. In Everett, one of the two Democrats who have emerged to challenge Rep. Joe McGonigal is Stephen Stat who is newly eligible to run again after a five-year period in which he agreed not to seek office as part of a voter fraud sentence. Barnstable rep Randy Hunt, who also faces a general election opponent, is the only Republican in either branch with a primary challenger on Tuesday. And in the Senate, three Democrats, Adam Hines of Pittsfield, James Welch of West Springfield, and Jason Lewis of Winchester, have primary opponents.
0: Are there any trends, Colin, among these uh, primary challenges, or do these races tell us anything about the shifting nature of politics, the attitudes of voters this time around in 2018?
3: Well, one theme you might have noticed is that almost all of these primary challenges are happening on on the Democratic side. The one big exception to that being Lively's challenge to the Republican Governor Baker. Now, part of that could be that Massachusetts politics is dominated by Democrats. So if you're going to challenge a sitting elected official, the numbers would say it's more likely you'd be challenging a Democrat. But this is also the first statewide election since Donald Trump was elected president. And with the exception of Lively and Ron Beatty, who's challenging Randy Hunt, there really aren't any candidates trying to run as the so-called Trump candidate to unseat other Republicans. On the Democratic side, I think the challenges show where people are unhappy with the status quo. A lot of these challenges are to politicians who have been in office for a long time, and in some cases, they represent the establishment. In some ways, I think we're still seeing some of the fallout from the 2016 Democratic presidential primary between establishment candidate Hillary Clinton and the more progressive Senator Bernie Sanders. That split within the Democratic Party is evident this year as candidates run to the left and claim the progressive torch in attempts to unseat supposed establishment Democrats. And as with almost everything these days, it's a response to Donald Trump's election as president. This is the first real chance people people motivated by Trump's victory have had to seek public office for themselves since the 2016 election.
0: Thanks, Colin. Thanks a lot, Sam. Hey, Matt Murphy. We just spoke with Colin about the effect that President Trump has had, inspiring a new generation of Democrats to challenge incumbents within their own party. But the president has also had an outsized impact on races around the country on the Republican side of the ballot, hasn't he? What sort of Trump effect are we seeing within the mass GOP?
4: Well, that's exactly right, Sam. You just have to look at Florida this past week where Republican Rep. Ron DeSantis literally ran an ad in his gubernatorial campaign featuring him reading a bedtime story to his son. And what he was reading was Trump's book, The Art of the Deal. Uh, Trump went on to endorse Congressman DeSantis in that primary for governor and is now being credited with helping him prevail over the more establishment candidate, Adam Putnam. Now, we have not seen anything close to that level of embrace from a viable Republican in Massachusetts. And the closest we've probably seen is Scott Lively, who is running what at best could be described as a long shot campaign to upset Governor Charlie Baker. Uh, But some of that undoubtedly has to do with the fact that despite winning the Massachusetts GOP primary in 2016 Trump's approval ratings here are the lowest of any state in the country. A Morning Consult poll released this month showed that Trump's approval rating in July had fallen to 35%, down from 43% in Massachusetts when he took office in 2017.
0: So if the president is so unpopular in Massachusetts, does that mean that uh, GOP candidates are running away from the president?
4: Well, yes and no, Sam. I think it sort of depends on the race. Let's take a look at the U.S. Senate campaign, for example. This is perhaps the biggest primary race on the Republican side Tuesday and likely the race that will drive voter turnout among Republicans. And the frontrunner in that race looks to be Rep. Jeff Deal, who was Trump's campaign co-chair in Massachusetts and has a line into the GOP activists that helped Trump win the primary in 2016. He's also, in a race against Elizabeth Warren, probably the candidate most likely to be able to lure Trump into Massachusetts and make him a part of that general election campaign, and yet even Deal has not exactly gone out of his way to play up his Trump bona fides, even if he has defended the president at most turns when questioned on the campaign trail. I think if Deal does pull it out, however, though it bears watching whether He can carry someone like Jay McMahon across the finish line. McMahon, a Republican candidate for Attorney General, is also someone who has aligned himself with the President in uh, a race that's largely gone under the radar for Attorney General against a more conventional GOP attorney, Dan Shores. And then you have candidates like Rick Green, a Pepperle businessman running in the 3rd Congressional District. And he doesn't have a primary on Tuesday, but he will face the winner of a crowded Democratic field in which all 10 Democrats are running on the basis of uh, their strength in being a foil to President Trump. And uh, Green himself was someone who backed Ohio Governor John Kasich in the 2016 election. He eventually came around to Trump, donated to his campaign. But when people have asked him on the campaign trail in the past few months, he is uh, sort of backed away from the pe- president, trying to refocus the discussion on local issues, not wanting to tie himself to the White House.
0: If the president has had such a powerful effect on GOP primary races elsewhere in the country, why aren't more Republicans here trying to tie their candidacies to Trump.
4: The problem for Republicans in Massachusetts, I think, is that embracing Trump now will make the pivot to the center in a general election all the more challenging. And even candidates like Beth Lindstrom, the former Mitt Romney, Scott Brown aide, who's also running in that three-way primary for the U.S. Senate. And she has grudgingly admitted that she will or would at this point vote for Trump in 2020 and voted for him, in fact, in 2016. But When she says that, she often quickly adds areas where she's disagreed with the president and how she would also be willing to stand up to him. And The issue for candidates like her is that the math just doesn't work for Republican candidates. There are 4.5 million registered voters in this state, and only 10% of them registered as a Republican. And even if Trump could help someone like a Lindstrom or a John Kingston get through a tough primary against a candidate-like deal, they would eventually have to win over a sizable chunk of the 2.47 million unenrolled voters in Massachusetts who increasingly trend uh, towards the center. And uh, as we've seen with the president's approval ratings, are likely to be against uh, this unpopular president. Thanks, Matt. Thank you.
0: Thanks, as always, for joining us. Statehouse News Service will be following the results on primary night with team coverage at statehousenews.com. We hope you have a very pleasant Labor Day weekend.